0: Hey, White Sox fans, Brett Valentini here with you again, hosting the Southside Sox podcast. This is number 17. It's another Pies on podcast. He's he's over by there. It's Rob Colletti joining me again on the Southside Sox podcast. Uh, welcome, Rob. Good to have uh,
1: you back. Parmesan, <laughs> Gabagool. Uh, I don't know any other ones, but I love the Sopranos. <laughs>
0: Legit enough. Now, let's just leave this right off. The 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 main, I think our main discussion point here, though we're going to probably talk about a few different topics, even though the hot stove is very cool right now, and events of the world have sort of cooled everything down in sports yeah. a bit, or a, they should, is the series. Two out of three have been published on Southside Sox, the report card series that Rob is penning for us. And Rob, let me just lead off. Uh, is this the first time you've actually sat down and put, say, I don't know, 10,000 words towards braiding the White Sox? <laughs> is this something you just did in a notebook and didn't publish it before? Or is this a first-time experience for you? Uh, it is my first time
1: publishing a report card. I do sit alone in my room and cry as I scribble <laughs> negatively about sock seasons past. Um, with my own little grade book to go along with it. Uh, but seriously, um, yeah, we, w- what was really cool about this year is, is that there was such a wide gambit of uh, performance levels that occurred on our team. And, you know, there are, there are years where you look at, like, say, the 2009 Phillies. You would look at that team when you'd go report card. Okay, well, everyone gets a C-plus or better, like in the worst-case scenario. Maybe one player had a D on that team. In on our team, we had this really successful, you know, um, raucous, surprising appearance from so many youngsters and a lot of disappointments from players that were veterans that you expected to be better. And it really lended itself to sort of formulate into this general, uh, idea for what people do every year and, you know, kind of just grading the socks based on their capabilities. And, uh, you know, I, I think that. Being able to sit down here and um, really filter through all of these players and look at all them i mean i 'm feeling confident about the grades that we've gave to all these players and I mean frankly, I think that uh, a lot of them will improve next year
0: was were there guys going in I mean you had an idea you had your notes in your head from the season were there guys going in either hitting and by the way everyone uh, if you 've read the stories probably already but Uh, I'm linking both obviously in the body of of this with the podcast as well. So you can refer back if if you'd like, but going in, you had an idea of who would be, but as you sort of got into the numbers and got into writing and got into context, whether it's on the pitching or hitting side, was there a guy or two that ended up with a a worse or better grade that, you know, maybe you anticipated? Oh yeah. You
1: know, I, I also changed grades as I was writing. I changed grades for players sometimes two or three times Mm -hmm. because I I would say, well, you know, for example, I, I initially had, cody hoyer at like a b minus and i was like you know he he was really solid this year but he didn't do very much and the more i not only looked at his statistics but re-watched film of him playing this year i i could not help but be impressed on such an enormous level i mean the kid is playing years beyond his age i had to bump him up I, if i remember correctly i gave him an a minus or an a he, he deserves it in my opinion and the other side of the coin was the same too i think i initially had um Gio Gonzalez at like a B minus or a C plus because there were times where he really looked great and I those stuck out in my head but looking back at his play and then remembering how like not only watching him lose his cool on the mound so easy but then remembering some of the horrible situations that he didn't pitch the right way into and I blame some of that on Renteria which I mentioned more than three times I think in the piece but um you, you know uh, of course things will surprise you um, in the batter's piece, I think I initially gave, uh, Encarnación like a C minus or a D plus, and he moved down to an F because regardless of him hitting 10 home runs, the, there's too much there that went wrong. It was, and for how much money he made, for the role he was expected to play, for the playing time he received
0: oh my God. for
1: Ricky Renteria. I mean, it was just awful, man. Awful. And, uh, all this to say, yes, of course. There were adjustments that needed to be made, but I think it was all well thought out.
0: You, uh, it, it's good, and we're not going to get into all. We're not going to have a debate, and we're not going to disagree on all these because I think, by and large, the grades are are sound, and I think the, the comments on the articles have indicated that as well. Uh, you know, I picked out a couple. I made notes, but it's funny you mentioned Geo because, and it's interesting you started him so high because, because in fact, when I saw what you had, I thought, man, that's actually even still a little generous. And he was such a he was a fun guy to talk to. You had very high hopes of what he would do for the Sox this season, as you point out from both the veteran side, which I think he did fulfill, even though he indicated early on in the Zooms that he was aware that this wasn't his clubhouse. He was aware he was a newcomer to the team. So I think he maybe even perhaps too much uh, sort of minded his space in terms of a leadership role. But I think that probably developed over the years. So I think he did give something to the White Sox not much on the field. I think you even see perhaps a little more good in what he did on the field than I, but it was interesting whenever he did pitch to be able to talk to him because there was always something you picked up in the, in the audio, uh, you know, him cussing on the mound of it throwing yet another ball and not being able to get the ball to the plate. It was always something fun to play off and ask. And sometimes he'd sort of take the bait and sometimes he wouldn't, sometimes he'd keep it cool. And other times he'd be like, you know, he'd be pretty frank. So he was actually at least pretty frank and open about, in a way, how bad his season was. I know it was very disappointing for him. And I think particularly at the end of the season, to not be able to get the vote of confidence from Renteria to get back, though he probably didn't earn it, to get back into the rotation. When he came back from his, I think, groin injury, uh, you could see that in the pregame interview, the, the disappointment he had where he was just like, hey, you got to ask him, because I you know, I can't tell you, because I think I asked him directly, hey, are, are you back in the rotation? Or are you going to f- you know, fill a, an open spot coming up? Uh, and he was just like, yeah, yeah. it was – you know." a truncated year and sort of a disastrous year. And actually it turns out, I think you were actually a bit generous to Geo and I, you know, I love the guy and I have high hopes for him, but uh, listen, I, I, fully, I fully
1: understand the, that perspective. I think my specifically with these grades, as I say, in the beginning of the article, it's not just about the numbers on the page. And with Geo, I think I actually started off that bit where I said that stats don't tell the entire story with this year. And I, I, you know, the same way that I I look at these grades from a teaching perspective, you know, if if I'm teaching students, I would include in their grade, not just the test scores and the pop quizzes. It's also about the effort they put in the classroom, right? The work that they're doing in general. And for whatever it's worth, you know, statistics that left some things to be desired, notwithstanding, the guy was, in my opinion just as good at his job as 90 plus percent of starting pitchers in the major leagues and that puts him in the top 10 percentile and i mean that gives him an a grade in my opinion and again all this is obviously opinion based right you know you could make an argument for why giolito had a c minus year if you really (laughs) want to be that subjective about it but i think that there's also credit that needs to be given for things that are intangible that show up off of the page. And obviously the you no know, hitters, a big deal. The the dude is showing metric improvement in a number of categories, despite, you know, not being quite where he was in 2019, but uh, all in all, you know, I, I would say that geo was graded a little harshly this year or treated a little harshly this year by, by critics and people who were, um, you know, holding the White Sox to a higher standard very quickly. You have to remember, too, in April of last year, we were going in the beginning of the season, you know, well, I guess March until, you know, coronavirus ruined everything. Uh, our expectations for the year were, let's finish over 500, and let, let's make that progression forward. You know, let's let's at least become a playoff contender. Now we're immediately talking, well, we need a World Series soon. This is a team that can win 100 games a year. And Giolito carried more than his weight in that realm
0: absolutely and, the, and the, the truth is the white sox have legitimately two aces in the staff now which is great except when you look at the fact that there sort of is nothing else which you've addressed I don't slightly three. lance lynn is home <laughs> so now we have it
1: last year Yeah, last year we a had a lot of prayer we had two aces <laughs> and seven long relievers
0: <laughs> ouch but we'll get to Dylan. looking ahead uh for the offseason uh here in the second half. And again, let's make it clear that uh, as the publisher of this piece and the writer this piece, we came to agreement on most of this. But what we're going to talk about are things that seem that are maybe a little bit different. And conversely, though, I thought you were perhaps generous to Gio Gonzalez. The grade for Jimmy Cordero was a little rough. He's down at a D plus, And clearly a lot of that, as you point out, Stems from the use, Ricky, the overuse from Ricky Renteria, and the fact that you know, listen, the numbers don't lie. He he did have a rougher year, despite the fact he pitched in half of the games. For God's sake, yeah. Um, But uh, tell me why he got graded, uh, I guess, uh, as poorly as he did, as a guy who really did pretty much suck it up for the team. Jamie Cordero. Yeah. You know,
1: ultimately. As I I think I said this too, you know, oh, I, I do blame Ricky Renteria for a lot of his struggles, but at the same time, you can only give him so much of the blame, right? You know, Matt Foster pitched more innings than Jimmy Cordero and Matt Foster made some mistakes and ended up having a pretty spectacular year, all things considered. For me, my grading system, you know, I, I essentially, I, I finesse it by giving what I think the initial grade is, and in some instances it stayed, as I wrote, and in others, as I wrote it, I would see, well, this player shouldn't belong below that player. What did I give them? Okay, and I would adjust their grade a little based on, well, you know, I guess maybe it's not quite as high as I thought, and this guy. Maybe it's not quite as low as I thought, and it would move up the list. Cordero, I initially had in the mid-seas, if I remember correctly, and he fell down too. Because ultimately, he possessed the worst war, not just on the pitching staff, on the team. And again, whether or not Ricky R- Rentry is to blame for some of that, Cordero had some control issues this year that were his fault. And he, I'm not taking anything away from him. I actually think I also say in the piece that if anybody, you know, earned the right to come back despite, you know, his counterpart oh, sure. being fired, Cordero's the one who's probably earned right. it. But I also, you know... The, I give high grades here, and I give low grades here. Mm-hmm. Nobody here is getting, um, you know, off scot-free. And and I've I did my research too. I looked at other um, report cards from other sites, and there were you know teams that gave, you know, I think I had um Dylan Cease at a C plus, and if I remember correctly, somebody gave Dylan Cease an F for the year. <laughs> you know, and I just I, I, for me, I'm I'm not looking at it in a way of trying to find a mathematical specificity to exactly measure every single player's exact abilities. It's, it's a fluid, uh, ever changing built on dynamics and intangibles uh, sort of a thing that requires some insight, but also the ability to kind of be flexible with how you define things. And particularly with Jimmy Cordero, you know, I, one of the things that I, I love about him is he has this really great energy of, you know, showing the gun, <laughs> like going out in the mound and being the gamer with the wide <laughs> eyes when he throws. And yeah. I, I love, that. I think that that immediately adds something that doesn't show up on the page that not every player has. Cody Hoyer has a, a similar way of doing that, with, but differently. He's like, he's like cool hand Luke, you know, he just, he he's unshaken. And Jimmy Cordero has those traits, but You know, whether it was overuse or misuse or whether it was not being able to place his pitches or whoever whoever is to blame him or Renteria or who they were playing, the metrics of who he was going up against. You know, there were a number of situations where he was put in where obviously other relievers were projected to have done better. And again, Renteria just mismanaged the hell out of this bullpen. Um, I, I I I think there was too much Cordero did wrong on his own to let him get off without being judged for it.
0: Yeah, and it goes without saying, in a season like this, first of all, you got a super small sample size. This is stuff you acknowledge as well. And, you know, even if you, and war can be really tricky, too, because clearly, as yeah. war is terrible baseball reference, you go to, I think it's Fangraphs. It's I think it's actually positive. So, I mean, you get that, you know, it's why I like to sort of average across the three, but I mean, sure. you know, clearly, the numbers are going to jump out here, and, you know, you're, you're talking about at times where guys have got like a four-inning sample size or a two-appearance sample size, for good and bad, and so, yeah. you know, this by definition, because it's been such a, it was such a weird season, is going to end. I mean, you could still legit grade based on what you're seeing from potential trends and so forth, and in a lot of cases, a, a legit body of work. Um, yes. A lot of times on the offense side, you know, any of these regulars, I mean, you can still extrapolate when you're talking about a third of a season of starts for for, for at least a few guys in the rotation. Uh, so there's some legit projecting you can do, and some of it is a little bit more spitballing in this season or this past season of of, of any. But Absolutely, yeah. And before we jump into a little bit, maybe more of the offensive side and, and our break, let's address one more uh, pitching situation. And that's, I guess, three of the younger starters. Uh, Dane Dunning, uh, who, of course, is no longer here. So, you know, hey, you know, this is his last grade with the White Sox anyway, who gets a, a B-minus, which might even be seen as a, a, a little harsh, even though he did sort of lose it uh, pretty much, you know, in his truncated season. Started strong, started strong and sort of shocking, uh, and then sort of tapered into the playoffs. Dylan Cease gets the C-plus, and Dylan Cease all season, and listen, I don't think anybody denies he may have the best stuff on the staff, um, but was lost all season, could not find the plate, was cool about it, you know, uh, to his credit, uh, getting the C-plus, Ronaldo Lopez, the only difference to me, aside from the fact that, yeah, I think you got to say that C's pedigree, Dylan C's pedigree and his stuff and his potential is significantly, perhaps significantly better than Ronaldo Lopez's. But I think the big difference between those two guys is Lopez was dumb enough, emotional enough to vent his frustration about his poor play, uh, which it, earned him a ticket to Schaumburg, and he was sort of lucky to get back. I think if you don't have some injury issues, he doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. Um, But he gets the D minus. And those three, I think you can make a lot of arguments that those could be in a different order. So let's talk a little bit about how the lame back end of our rotation sort of wriggled out for you and your mind on the report card.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this, again, this kind of went into listing which players belong where on the list. Right. And Because for me, it wasn't just giving a grade. It was also how does the grade compare to other people's sure. grades? And, um, you know, for me, I couldn't in good conscience w- give a better grade to Dylan Cease than Dane Dunning, because ultimately Dane Dunning's quality of year was a little bit higher marginally but i would say so
0: and he got and, the call in the in the playoffs i mean i think that that sort of yeah, says it right there he got exactly
1: the start and and i would disagree with you wholeheartedly regarding ronaldo lopez in fact i i almost gave him an and <laughs> i i,
0: I and i'm not, I, not lobbying for him to be better it's just yeah, you know, you're talking about it. <laughs> for
1: me i actually think that there's a legitimate argument and i left this out of my piece that ronaldo lopez still belongs in the minors I'm. He has obviously flashed brilliance. He's had multiple games with 10-plus strikeouts. The, the dude has the stuff to be a dominant power pitcher in the majors, but he doesn't have the composure or the experience uh, or, I think, the mental fortitude to go up against the plate vision of the best hitters in baseball that, by and large, sit in the American League, I would argue.
0: And what's tricky with Lopez is... Uh, because I think he's out of options by committing to not um, not tendering him. Maybe they're thinking his whatever $2 million or whatever it's supposed to be his, his arbitration price tag is going to scare any team away, but that may present prevent them from being able to put him where he probably rightfully should be. And let's face it. Schomburg was sort of, you know, the miners, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but that could really, that could handcuff the, the Sox into having to use them or maybe just dumping them for free.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, part of it too, in terms of dumping for free, you have to look at what Lopez came with, and it's Giolito. And frankly, if it was just Giolito that came over for Eaton, the trade was still a win. We also got Lopez and Dunning. So for me, uh, you know, you, you take risks on prospects and some don't pan out. That's just how it goes. I, I'm indifferent on Lopez at this point. I think he has so much more to prove than he doesn't. I think Dylan Cease has done a much better job of proving what he's capable of doing, but you know, for, for Ronaldo, what he really is incapable of learning at least so it seems so far is his ability to spot his pitches. And what I have seen just in the last 24 hours is, um, Uh, James Feagan over at The Athletic is reporting that Ethan Katz has been working with Dylan Cease and Ronaldo Lopez already and that he's changed the arm angle on Ronaldo Lopez's release and he's already seen improvement. So obviously the Sox are working with him. They envision him being able to continue to work. I just, what he brought and I'm grading 2020. I'm not grading 2021. I'm not grading 2019. I used uh, future and past instances to explain why the organization may or may not do something, but his grade was for 2020 and he he performed really poorly. He's also not a rookie anymore. He's had plenty of experiences and he also has had plenty of time to prepare. And frankly, I, I actually would say Ricky Renteria's grade might be buoyed a little bit because of how well he handled Ronaldo. There may have been Managers out there who would say, "Well, he just has the natural stuff. We have to try anyway," and would have let the guy throw an 8.5 ERA over the course of the entire season. So, you know, this is all subjective too, and there's no way to really know. Really quickly, I want to touch on, back on Dane Dunning because mm-hmm. you know you said that maybe the grade deserved to be a little bit higher. I the reason that I gave him a B minus is because there were so many question marks coming into the season and. He left just as many, even though the questions changed when the season ended. Uh, the Tommy John injury or surgery was obviously something that derailed him and it's beyond his control. And he had time to come back, and, and in the minors, he didn't look quite the same, but he was still getting similar numbers. When he came up, his first three starts were lights out, everything looked great, but you did see twinges of things to worry about, and you know, Again, I'm not a professional baseball scout, but I have been playing the sport since I was five years old. I started playing t-ball when I was literally four and a half. I've been going to White Sox games since I was a toddler. I've been watching major league pitchers throw since I have cogn- had cognitive <laughs> development. you know. And um, I, I would say that I have at least enough experience in watching the sport to know when someone is dominant or not. And I think scouts are too high on Dane Dunning I think Rick Hahn trading him now is going to end up being a great idea, regardless of how old Lance Lynn is, because Dane Dunning throws a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. And best-case scenario, you know, yes, he turns into a Cy Young winner and maybe puts it together to be the next right-handed version of Dallas Keuchel. Very cool. Good for him. But the likelihood of that seems really slim. And frankly, I don't foresee it happening – in this window of contention, at least not in the front end of it. So uh, again, for me, the season was sort of a a list of question marks that turned into more question marks. He did do some things that I didn't expect him to do, but he did a lot. That goes both ways. There were good things I didn't expect him to do, and there were bad things I didn't expect him to do.
0: Yeah. Cease and uh, Lopez are guys with the stuff to to different degrees, of course, and, you know, have this potential, uh, Dunning, the thing you kept hearing about what he did impressively and maybe less so at the end of the season was composure. You heard McCann say, man, the guy is so composed. He's got a maturity. And listen, Cease is cool too, but he clearly you can't give him credit for composure when he just can't corral that control. Of course, he hasn't even gotten to a full year's worth of starts in his career. He had 10 or 12 at the end of 2019. Again, another 10 or so. So he's still not even to his – 30, 35 start mark of what a normal full rookie season might be. So, you know, there, I mean, w- in which you cannot point to, as you pointed out, you can't say the same Lopez cause he's, he's what, 70, 80 games in his career. Uh, you know, despite the fact his age is not that much older than, than yeah. sees. maybe he's our Nomar Mazzara, which is, uh, frightening, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Those are, you know, those are, and again, that's sort of the grouping because those were the guys who were, you know, they were going to be the three, four and five, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, I, mean, I guess Dunning wasn't Actually, looked at right. in that way, but certainly three and four going into this very season and both to, to to different degrees failed. Obviously Lopez <laughs> was lucky to come back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the one thing he did to Renneria that made it clear that Renneria wasn't going to kick him around is because he, he went after him, you know, it was a very maybe subtle way but he went after him and, and, when you've got a guy who's known as like the you know the the papa or the grandpa of the locker room, and you're you're sort of you're throwing him under the bus, yeah, that's really the dumbest move you can,
1: yeah, make. yeah, and and for also for whatever it's worth regarding the comparison of Cease to Lopez, I mean, there was never a point in the season where I was like Dylan Cease is going to the minors. No. Of course, he's not living up to his potential right, right. now, right. but at one point neither was. uh, Giolito there's also I think a a really um you know uh unfair stigma that comes with players who are compared to all-time greats like Pedro Martinez and uh, Ronaldo Lopez's case and um you know Dylan Cease I think the closest comparison he's been made to is Mark Pryor for like a major great pitcher but I think he has the ability to be much more than that and sadly I think Bernardo Lopez has the ability to much beat to be much less than uh, Pedro Martinez. And I don't know if it's because he's heard the comparisons too much or because he gets in his own head for other reasons and he can't get his command under control, but cease has command issues and he doesn't have the same statistical output or the same character output. It's there, there are, there are differences in who they are on a multitude of levels. And I just, I thought cease had a better year on the whole.
0: Yeah. And you know, there's an, there's an optimistic future with Cease that, that none of us, being honest, none of us at this point, maybe a year ago we might have still felt it, it was a little bit closer and there were probably still people who maybe really saw a more optimistic future for Ronaldo Lopez. I don't think there were many, but I think there were. I don't think anyone can go in as a smart fan into 2021 saying that. Even if you're uh, not bullish on Cease, I just don't see anybody who makes the argument that says that Lopez has a higher arc i mean right. let's hope they're both fighting for the number four uh, yeah maybe uh, cats you know, both of their problems yeah. maybe they both maybe we end up having a problem where <laughs> we have seven starting pitchers and please i'll take yeah, it. it it could happen let's take a quick break we're going to get a little bit more into the report Connor i'm going to talk a little bit more uh, cold, hot stove, I guess, here in cold January stove. 2021, uh, but we will be back on the podcast in just a second on the video. Uh, just close your eyes for a couple seconds. We'll be right back. Hey there, we are back, Southside Sox Podcast. Number 17. I'm here with fellow Pieson. It's Rob Colletti. Somewhere in the house is uh Chewy running around, uh maybe getting ready to bark. He's not made his presence known. Every other pet, I believe, uh in the vicinity of a Southside Sox podcast has made him or herself known. So uh so far, early award for best behaved uh puppy dog or maybe even cat or bird is Chewy Coletti. Wait, so, Chewie. <laughs> oh, man, his full, name is Chewba-
1: his full name is Chewbacca Rocco Coletti.
0: Chewbacca Rocco. Well, now I gotta say, Chewy, you're laying down because that kind of name almost commands. <laughs> command.
1: We were we were uh, playing pretty pretty intensely this morning. He's probably having. <laughs> a- let's
0: um, let's just move over briefly. Uh, there was really one. Distinction I wanted clarified on the offensive side, which is the older article I think published maybe a monthish ago, but that's also linked uh, here in the body of this podcast. Yeah. and it is the uh, sexy dancing for Dubs partners. We got Danny Mendick, who mm-hmm. you you you're fairly bullish on in terms of what he brings to the team, and not just his dance moves. He gets a B plus. Zach Collins, who I have to say, if we're going to ding Ricky Renneria for his bullpen management, which is sort of easy to do, we can all do that in our sleep, we're going to have to uh, dog him for, well, the way he handled his offense in general, certainly his, his DH spot, and the way he handled Zach Collins for how he was used and when he was thrown out there. He basically was kept idle. I don't know where he was supposed to go, so I understand that Ricky Renneria's hands perhaps were tied a bit by just having him. They're on the roster before a lot of times he was in Schaumburg when the Sox could have maybe used a third catcher and had McCann or Grandal taking some of the bats away from Edwin Encarnacion. Perhaps we're getting to Zach, some of the reason why Ricky Renneria was fired, but Zach and I am no Zach booster. Let me make that very clear. Zach gets the D plus and both of them seem to be in a similar situation Mendick, by injury, got an opportunity and largely ran with it. Zach Collins had no such opportunity, so it's sort of hard to give him a grade. But uh, let's talk about why we're bullish on one, maybe bearish on another, at least for, for 2020, and, and, and let me know what you think they might have in store for us in 2021.
1: Well, I, I mean, personally, I think if there's any player on the Sox who isn't currently a starter that could be on another team, Danny Mendick actually has the skill set to be a legitimate major league top 10 second baseman mm-hmm. or position at any position, not, not him specifically, but like in the second base realm, he would be a top 10 second baseman. Danny Mendick is um, what the only player on the team who had a gold glove nomination, despite not being uh, the only player in, in the league who had a gold glove nomination, despite not being a starter. Um, he is still learning to make his contact the way that he should, but he's clearly improving. All of his metrics suggest so. And if you think about what the second base position is in the majors, players like Cesar Hernandez three years ago were considered to be bench players. And now he's, you know, a legitimate starter who is highly respected at the position. It's the type of position that you don't need to be a power hitter. You don't need to be a world-class defender. It's an easier position to defend in terms of what arm strength is required, but it still requires agility and the ability to, you know, um, uh, move side to side and uh, play great defense on, on the steel and the tag and covering from the outfield, et cetera. He does all of those things at an exceptional level and he's never gotten full playing time. He's only been able to fill in for injuries and, you know, for whatever it's worth, I I don't, I I partially grade him not just given what his batting average is, which I think was like 240 or 250 or something. And, you know, he had like a hundred some at bats. So yeah, you could say, "Should, should it have been as high, but I think he's, easily if not the best certainly one of the best platoon infielders that any team has given his age his ability to run on the base paths ability to steal bags his elite defense and I don't foresee his swing getting worse every single metric suggests that he's getting better and over time like think about Michael Str- Michael Trumsky in San Francisco he was considered a tier three prospect right at best, even when he was still playing in the majors, and he didn't blossom until he was 30 years old. That guy is one of the best outfielders in baseball right now. And, And you can't argue with that, not only because of how he plays, but even based on statistics. Stats don't lie. So I, I again, and this isn't just about stats. It's about the character of the player, who they are in the clubhouse, the the dancing with Mendic stuff. He he brings something out of his teammates. I'm doing the Italian thing. But, <laughs> you know, he brings something out of his teammates that is just. So rare, the intangibles. I have an immense amount of respect for the kid, and I think it might
0: not be with the Sox, but he's got a bright future. So, Rob, okay, tell me this then. Let's stick on Mendick. And even though he doesn't have the outfield chops that Leory Garcia does, uh, do you foresee the type of role and the importance you think the White Sox will place in terms of keeping him on the roster so he can play a role like, say, a Yomer Sanchez has, or to some degree, Leoria has done, even though Leoria has certainly more experience in the outfield, which Mendick, I think, has got some left field play uh, in the minors, I'm sure is capable at least of of left field. Do you see him filling a role to the point where maybe he takes over for where Garcia maybe leaves off if he was to depart the White Sox after uh, 2021? Do you think the White Sox no. are placing that kind of importance on him?
1: No, I I don't, at least I have no reason to believe that he could play outfield. I I think if I'm, if I'm Tony LaRusso, Leroy Garcia is an outfield utility player. And Danny Mendick is an infield utility player. And I, I, if I need to have Garcia play with Mendick, if like I need to rest two players, I would do that. But Garcia made a couple of really silly errors at shortstop this year. And I, I also, he, we know it's not his natural position. He started as a center fielder. He is a utility player. He can play most positions on the field, and that makes him valuable. And I think I think I also gave um, Garcia like a B-minus or a C-plus or something. He's a great young player too, and I think he's invaluable to our team. He might be the best utility player on the team or in the league, certainly on the team, but even so – mendic Mendick, if, I, if I'm Tony La Russa, I'm throwing Mendick in at second and short and even third behind the starters over Garcia because of his defensibility. And he's the same type of player. He's a contact hitter. He just isn't a switch hitter.
0: Yeah. There's some flexibility on the team. And I think Mendick, you know, you're right in how he stepped in, not just playing in that utility role. Because, again, we only had a handful of games to really see that in action. But for the virtually half the season, I think he started close to 30 games. Uh, that he did end up uh, playing, you know, proved himself worthy of the majors in a way that he flashed in September, 2019, but then that September, you can always devalue that because it's September, it's just a, it's, it's just a duck snore of experience. We saw a little bit more. We, we saw, as you pointing out, the, adv- the advancement perhaps of what his potential, you know, 10 year utility man um, or who knows, starter, but utility man career in the majors could be with what he did, and of course he's going to have to advance it here in 2021, which is going to likely be closer to a fuller season. You know, let's hope knock on wood there, but uh, you know, and I guess it remains to be seen whether he does regress or, as you're seeing some of his numbers and trends, you know, uh, pointing up a, a guy who really maybe with 2021 solidifies himself as that guy who's going to have a place in the league into his 30s. Uh, and you know, I, I I can see what you're what you're seeing in projecting him to that. Uh, I don't think that's certainly too much of a stretch. So, you know, okay. B plus also, with that incorporated, you know, makes a lot of sense too.
1: He also was projected to have like a two war on the season without being a starter, which you have to respect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Collins flip side. It's a, it's a matter of opportunities a three outcomes kind of guy, I, you know, listen, I am not sold in the least. I think probably part of his grade is, the opportunity was given and pl- and some of that is deserving. Clearly if he had come up with a big hit or even a big walk, cause he's got such a great eye, the big walk, then that theoretically does lead to a little more time. He would have somehow stolen some at-bats from Edwin Encarnacion or, uh, James McCann if warranted. So I know this isn't a situation where it's just, Oh, he was treated unfairly, but Bullish in any way on uh, on Zach Collins? The oh, other, I'm, the I'm, actually,
1: I'm actually still quite bullish on him. Uh, my my issue was with 2020, yeah. and again, I'm grading the year. I'm not grading his future. I'm not grading what he's his level of prospect is. I mean, the kid is still, in my opinion, a tier one catching prospect. But he's only 25 years old. He doesn't need to put it all together yet. And in fact, I really didn't expect him to. But here's the other thing. I kind of relate his situation to Jose Ruiz. Jose Ruiz actually looks pretty good this year, but he had such a bad year before that his appearances were probably limited because of how poorly he's performed in the past. So while I understand, too, that he can only be so much in control of what it is or the amount of time that he gets as a player, when, when you break it down, the dude is still not a rookie. He has had the ability To show what he's done before. And here's the other thing. The White Sox, they signed Yasmany Grandal when they already had James McCann, and they knew Zach was still in the system. It wasn't like it was a secret that he was going to be good. They probably knew, too, that he wasn't quite ready. And he came in and he had a home run, his first at-bat in the majors. Since then, I think his cumulative batting average is like 185. I mean – The kid is just not ready for major league pitching yet. And maybe he will be next year. Maybe he's going to continue to work and hit and progress. And I certainly think he has the potential to be a tier one catcher. I just, from what he did this year, I think he hit something like, you know, 290 OPS on the year when with striking out 40% of the time. I mean, even if you're only batting 20, 30 times, dude, that's not good.
0: That's really bad. Do you think going into 2021, it's his job to lose? Or do you think the White Sox are going to shore up with some sort of maybe more defensive minded, you know, veteran? I know those, those positions are drying, I, up, but
1: I think Rick Hahn really likes, um, Yerman Mercedes. And frankly, I do too. I, I also, people sleep on Zebby Zavala. This dude plays great defensive catcher. And, you know, obviously he needs to put it together behind the plate, but, you know, the Sox have some really decent depth. And they're minors for catcher in addition to Collins. And honestly, if I'm Rick Hahn, I'm trying to eye a trade with Jonathan Seaver and Zach Collins in the package to bring in somebody who's more sure. Because here's the thing. If you think about it like this, we do have Yerman Mercedes. We already have Yasmani Grandal. We just let James McCann walk. There has to be some sense of understanding amongst the Sox brass that they don't need to rely on Zach Collins for success. Mm And, you know, I, I also, I was harsh on Jonathan Stever. Is it Stever? I can't remember. Stever. Stever, right. You know, he was awful this year. He was obviously called up too early, and that's the front office's fault too. But, you know, I'm grading the year 2020. That was what I was assigned to do, and I did it. Man. But they both still have the ability to be tier one. Maybe Stever's more of a tier two prospect their value is incredibly high and they don't necessarily figure into the future. So if I'm Rick Hahn, I'm actually, I'm, I, I still find ways to value Collins, and I try to get rid of them because of it.
0: Yeah. The, yeah. The thing that's funny about your mean is, is maybe we forget that when things were called off last spring, he was storming He was going to make the White Sox in a very unpopular move leave him off the roster and What I loved about him is not only was he hitting to to back it up, and let 's face it he 's pretty much just a bat he can catch and i 'm not sure how much you put that in quotes, but he can catch I think but The thing I loved is he was out there, you know, social media or whatever, he's saying, you know, hello, Chicago, you know, I'm coming. (laughs) I mean, granted, I know part of that's, you know, there's the agenda he's putting some pressure on. He wants to, you know, stoke the fans and such to make everybody boo loudly if he does get uh, option to Charlotte, but uh, he was making a legit uh, run. And again, it's, it's cactus league games, you know, what does it matter? But every at bat, was was getting pretty scary. He was doing damage almost at bat to at bat. And then things got called off and it's like, you know, whoops, everybody goes home for a while, sort of forget all that dies down. And that, I mean, he had to be the guy probably most hurt by the fact that things broke when they did, because he was, I think he was storming his way onto the White Sox roster. Yeah. And no, actually,
1: I think that proves my point more, right? Because if you think about it, uh, if he was doing well in March, and then things got weird and the world shut down, we came back and he couldn't sustain it, then the right decision was made anyway because he couldn't sustain it. It doesn't matter if things went cold. Everybody stopped playing. He wasn't the only player who had to sit at home. It wasn't like, you know, uh, a rain delay that only one player had to suffer. It was everybody. And unfortunately, whether or not it means that he's incapable of getting it all back is not the point that I'm making. But this year... In his time that he did have, I mean, I hated every at bat that he had. I, I there were maybe two where I was like, okay, decent. He didn't even draw high pitch counts very often. He's just yeah. not. He's not doing his job as a batter yet, and that's what like like you said, that's what he's
0: known for. Yeah, and, and you know, and listen, you're mean, and Sebby both know going in they're going to be on the outside looking in for that whatever it is, third catcher, backup catcher role, because obviously Zach still has the sheen of being a, a number one pick. The White Sox, it's in their interest to see them do well versus a the guy they got, Rule 5, or yeah. Sebi much further down the draft, who's a great story, but, you know, uh, I don't think they would... Sebi might out. be the
1: best defensive catcher in the system.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, that's got to count for something if a guy can just swing it all. And, you know, the funny thing is, until 2019, which was a really bad offensive year for him, uh, he seemed to be showing it... He, he Him... He and Collins, I think you could argue, were somewhat less equal yeah. offensively. And, you know, Sebi then, you know, took it down. Zach had that great second half in Charlotte where he just went bananas with work with Menachino and, you know, since then, you know, so that's sort of been the depth chart. It's not the worst position for the White Sox to be in. They clearly, I mean, even though great problem to have. You know, two of the three guys arguably can't really catch behind the plate, but if they're only catching in emergencies or the one day a week, that uh, Yasmani's going to say, "All right, okay, I'm too tired," because you know he wants to play all 162 if he can. Uh, right. And that's not the worst position to be in. So, you know, going in, I don't think they're forced to make a move, which is why I asked if you if you thought yeah, that they were I, going to do anything. Because... I mean,
1: I also think, listen, I think Yasmani is still going to be good for another five years. I don't think that, you know, will he be the best catcher in baseball in five years? Absolutely not. But will he still be top 10, top 15? Without a question. He's a switch hitting catcher who is one of the best frame rates in the majors right now. He obviously hits the ball well. I don't think that those are going to dissipate overnight. And even if like the projections are accurate, he'll still be a plus catcher in five years. Yeah. And let's just say that after his four-year contracts up, they decide to let him go in three years from now, whenever that is. Okay, I'm sure that if we're a championship contention team, we're not going to rely on Sebby Zavala to be our everyday catcher. Rickon will go out and make something happen,
0: or our trio of
1: catchers somehow, stays or one tapped. of them, yeah, one of them <laughs> develops. You know, I mean, listen, we have options, and that is a good problem to have. One of the guys I would rather have players who are forced to up their game with pressure than not have enough
0: and see them For sure. to fail. For sure. We've seen enough of the well, we gotta put somebody out there. So right. I guess it's you because you're the oldest or you're paid exactly. the, the most or whatever. There seemed to be a lot of stuff that didn't was not very merit-based, which makes it exciting that there could be like a legit seven-man rotation. When you figure about Michael Kopech coming back, I mean, you know, there could we could actually end up with a problem. It seems yeah, I, far away right now, but there could actually be a problem where it's like, where do you put these guys?
1: No, no more Connor Gillespies. No, no more Josh Fields's,
0: Please. Oh man, we could play that game for the rest of this podcast. And no give more Brett. Everybody Anderson. a headache. Good Remember Brett Anderson? Oh my God! Over the Brett Anderson era. Uh, okay, let's talk about then. Maybe a guy, uh, both on the arm side and the offensive side, you anticipate having, I guess, maybe either a significantly better grade in, uh, when you do this in 2021, or worse, um, You know, maybe something was a mirage about
1: 2020. Well, better on the uh, hitting side, I'm going to use one of your guys, Leroy Garcia. I think Leroy Garcia is actually going to improve next year. He also spent most of the year on the DL, and that had an effect on his grade. Um, and listen, I don't know if you remember this, but – 2019, Larry Garcia was one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball. I had him on my fantasy team for for the first four months. He was an incredible value. Um, I think a lot of that will come back. He's an excellent contact hitter. He's got a plus arm in the outfield. He's going to get to spell uh, in all three outfield spots, and he'll probably get some infield play too. Um, He's also one of the most valuable bench players in all of the majors. Um, He brings speed off the bench, a switch hitting bat. There's just so much good. I I don't foresee him sitting in the Cs. Um, on the pitcher side, that's a little actually tougher for me to judge. I'd like to think it's Dylan Cease if I pick anybody. I think Dylan Cease has the ability to go yeah. further up than anyone else who is kind of lower yeah. on the list. Yeah. Um, but you know, I also I think Jimmy Cordero is probably the prime candidate to make the biggest turnaround next year. He has incredible stuff, and you know, with the Tony Larusa's ability to build bullpen usage as well as he does i foresee cordero having a, a renaissance
0: year next year yeah we know you're tough jimmy you do not get paid by the appearance you can say hey my <laughs> bicep needs a little <laughs> bit more rest and you really could imagine his numbers uh really take a nice turn because he's yeah. just not getting so much i know there are some guys who can pull it off they can't pull it off for many years they can pull it off for maybe a couple of years that kind of overuse and let's face it if he was overused and just kicked ass Great. Uh, yeah. That's going to look really good when it comes to arbitration time. But uh, he didn't. So I, I think the fact that they're going to have at least a couple more arms to throw in there, throw into that mix, and maybe you're going to have somebody who manages a bullpen better, or let's at least say differently, but probably better, uh, it's got to be a benefit for him. So, yeah, I could, I could see there being some, some real uh, ceiling uh, for him. And, and for a little extra credit, I would also like to
1: say, I think that both Ian Hamilton and Carlos Rodon, are going to have better years next year, if they land on the right spot. I mean, Ian Hamilton, I think being in Philly is a great place for him. If he gets the opportunities, he had the stuff originally to impress people. But if Carlos Jardin ends up in a rotation and he's fully healthy, he still has a lot of potential. And, you know, I feel bad that it didn't work out with him in the Sox because I've always really liked him. He's a workhorse lefty who threw hard and got strikeouts, confused batters, uh, hard to make contact with him when he's when he's throwing it right. Um, but it, his timing just didn't work out with the Sox. It's sad, but I, you know, like I, you know, imagine if he were to end up going to like Anaheim or Los Angeles and play the Angels, and you know, be with Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon batting behind him, that would give him some confidence, and he could do well.
0: Well, let's leave school now. Let's let's close the book. The Book is closed. We're gonna we're gonna drop the report card notion. Let's talk a little bit cold stove, and let's start with Rodon. Rodon, any chance you think has he got enough ego and a sort of mouthy agent that says there's no way you're coming back in a minor league deal with the White Sox? There's no way you're coming back in a reduced role. Uh, do you think there's enough hunger for teams out there to take a chance on a guy who's a number three draft choice uh, that there's no chance he's coming back to the South Side?
1: Yeah, I don't see it happening. I mean, is it possible? Sure. I mean, if he really loves the organization and he's willing to take like a million and a half dollars, maybe. But I just don't foresee a team like the Giants or the Tigers or, you know, some some team that needs a decent starter in the back end that he would be a great fit for. Yeah, has
0: innings for him. You know, if he's healthy,
1: he gives you 180 innings. He gives you 180 strikeouts. Um, he's a he's a really solid left-handed pitcher, and yeah, I, I don't foresee him making
0: less than three or four million next mm-hmm. year for, in a starting spot. Those are big ifs. Hundred eighty <laughs> if, if it was just so easy for him. All right, right let's talk that. a little bit of cold stove. Um, I don't know. There's this guy. I think the, when we first talked, you were sort of really high on it's this sort of annoying kind of nattish kind of guy, Trevor <laughs> Bauer. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, well, we can get to him, but let's talk more baseball and let's uh, address Trevor no, Bauer no. because he's probably not coming to Chicago, but uh, what just to team? clarify, I'm not high on Donald Trump, but uh, go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, uh, yes, Trevor Bauer. Listen, I actually still think it would be an incredible signing. I, I am very annoyed with what he and his agent are doing this off season i think it's kind of desecrating the you know off season routine and it already is struggling enough as it is yeah. the last thing the fans want to see is a bunch of youtube videos from you and your agent talking about how you are ranking which fans make memes about you i mean w- what an arrogant thing to do <laughs> regardless the dude is still an elite thrower and right i mean i i i, I just want him to be quiet just, you know, dude, show up and let it your – won't game. be. Rob,
0: this is yeah. the problem. Yeah, He's going to
1: kill the but locker room. You can't, you can't deny the dude's spin rate is through the roof. The guy is just – he has an unbelievable ability to strike batters out and, you know, keep, keep uh, contact rate low. And that's what you need in a, in a starter. And, you know, he, listen, if you're going to tell me that you would turn your nose up at Lucas Giolito, Trevor Bauer, Lance Lynn, and Dallas Keuchel throwing the ball every four games, you and I disagree on, on a multitude of things.
0: Rob – I'm sorry, especially at the price, I would turn <laughs> my nose up because his spin rate also involves spinning the heads of the front office and even a fair amount of, oh, I'm going to just guess gender-wise about half the fans, but you Should understand see. there's value. And uh I, I clearly, if he's annoyed you with the games he's playing, with the social media nonsense yeah. and... I mean, some, not that the whole process is dignified, or that there's some precedent that it's supposed to be like. oh, no, but you know, but, <laughs> guy, he, he's acting very uncool.
1: It's a catbird
0: seed. He doesn't have to play this game. Right. There's no other competition. No,
1: you, you're right, and and listen, I'm not I'm not arguing that in the least. I just at the same time, it's the same thing with Tony La Russa. Do I think the hire was good? No. Do I, w- am I willing to give him a chance to win me a championship? Absolutely. Yeah. Go out there and shut me up. <laughs> what Make, choice we got is proved Prove me wrong. I, w- yeah, I don't have a choice. Yeah. You know, Jerry runs the team. <laughs> More on that later. But, you know, listen, I'll just say this. If, if I'm, if I'm Jerry Reinsdorf, I'm in the twilight of my life, probably the last 10, 15 years. He probably knows that. I want to win a, a championship before I go. Trevor Bauer, if you look at who is available next year, the year after, and the year after that, there are really no pictures that the White Sox would stand a legitimate chance of signing that would fit the bill as well as Bauer does and hold the statistics at the level that he does. Is he the best character guy? Probably not even close. But for me, at the end of the day, unless you know, you're breaking the law, unless you're hurting your teammates and being a douche, I mean, I want to win. So yes, bring, bring in some guy who's got a hot head and, you know, come to a blue collar city where the fans hold you accountable. I think he would do well here. I just, I do. I want him to stop with the YouTube stuff. Just come on, man. Let's, you know, be a, be a professional.
0: Well, it's perhaps our, our, our final side of the podcast, but I wish I had more faith as, as an, as an older man, (laughs) I wish I had more faith in humanity these days to think that, yes, he would respond well in this blue-collar challenge. Because on paper, you're exactly right. On paper, this writes out a fairy tale for sure. I yes. just don't know if that is a greater than 50% chance or even a 10% chance. It makes me nervous when we're talking about, we're not talking about, you know, a guy on a, on a three-year $30 million deal. We're talking about a guy who's going to command probably upwards of $30 million plus a year. Absolutely. And, You know, again, hey, it's Jerry's money; he's got it. But yeah, we'll hear about it for the rest of our lives if it doesn't work out because that money was spent. Yeah, exactly.
1: But just out of curiosity, are there are there trade options that you see on the market that could fill his role, or potentially even the right field gap that I still think remains,
0: or you know, a, a reliever, something that might help. It definitely speaks to what they did with Lynn, which is the ideal type of, of trade for the White Sox. It's a guy that Absolutely. even though fans are saying, oh, my God, will he sign a, a, an extension, which, you know, I'm part of that because I, I want to know we're, we're getting, you know, something more than just a year. I but think Lynn would be silly not to sign with us. Yeah, definitely. and for the Sox, it's ideal because if it doesn't work out, they're not committed. Right. Um, if it does work, over only works out okay. They can commit at a rate that might even be less than what he's getting paid. I mean, this is the way the White Sox like to operate, and I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to some degree. Yeah, I gotta be, you gotta play smart business in sports. I know, you know, fans maybe sometimes can lose sight of that a bit, and I'm certainly one of those fans. But it certainly has to fit that type of thing. It's this, it's this mid commitment, like signing a Quintana, or it's a trade where you're getting a guy who's who's coming off the books, maybe even at a high rate, maybe at a, more, a higher rate of pay than, than Lynn's getting, but it's gotta be a guy that can strike in that sense because um, they're either not going to probably put up the prospect capital or if they even have it for a guy who's, you know, younger, still on the rise uh, guys, we'd like to strike for, but you know, it's just not going to happen. The Sox don't have it. Uh, or, you know, it's a, it's a guy that maybe is looking you know, a Chicago Cubs type of situation where it's like, Oh, Hey, you know, you're, you cutting half your team, you know, and you got, you know, a Cleveland Indians situation uh, where, you know, the Sox can come in and sort of be opportunistic and strike and they've done it once. You know, I hope there's some other deals that Han can sort of dig out or is pursuing because I, as you pointed out, there's nothing free agent wise that's going to even come close to a Bauer, which I think as we've just addressed is a dicey issue, no matter what sure. talent aside, it's dicey and especially dicey when the White Sox do not like, adding zeros to those checks so
1: well let me throw a few names your way let me let me, let me see who you feel about these uh, my, my personal favorite that i would love to see is joe musgrove i don't know if that's something that's potentially real but i've heard some whispers the pirates are trying to move him sure i think he would fit in really well here mm-hmm. he fits that garrett cole you know leaves pittsburgh becomes an ace kind of a thing mm-hmm. and he has the stuff for it too absolutely yeah, uh that's perfect uh, you know, I also, I, I'm not sure how you feel about him. I really like Luis Castillo. I know he's 31, but I think that he's really talented.
0: Uh, I think he would be a decent fit for at least a couple of years. He's done it. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you've got a track record. The And here's the thing. I don't know that the side, part of the reason, forget the fact it's 30 million plus or that he's a jerk or he's going to play with a drone or whatever. Part of the reason and a legit reason potentially to not go in for Bauer is that that's a commitment you're going to make that. Um, could potentially, it's not a bad problem to have, but hamstring the fact that you've got this number of guys you all see as, you know, obviously they seem like a Kopeck as being a starter for for years, Cease for years. Uh, you know, so striking for a guy, even if you were to sign him for just a couple, three years, I think that sort of fits with the White Sox. Want. They want to give some of these young guys a, a little bit more time because they've sort of demanded that they they need it. Dylan Cease can't go in as, as e- maybe even the number four. You really got to give him that, break where it's like, you know, we're not going to put too much on your shoulders, you know, right. because you still need that seasoning. You, you are not a veteran yet and you're not pitched like a veteran yet. Um, so I think, yeah, striking right in the Sox aren't going to overcommit for a number of reasons, which is what makes Bauer so tricky for this team. Or if there were several other guys like him, it uh, would still be tricky, you know, their, their, their past history aside. Uh, so the Musgroves and the Castillos of the world are, are those ideal fits might not cost you a ton in trade, not going to cost you a ton in the pocketbook. And the White Sox have tons of talent capital to give away
1: in the minor league level still. I I think I said this in my first piece. I, I think Keith Law and all, all the you know minor league system adjudicators now are, have been really unfair to the White Sox minor league system because of a couple of injuries and the rate at which they've called players up. I mean, I think the White Sox still have one of the best farm systems in all baseball.
0: They certainly have guys they know they're going to have to – need to move on. I mean, A, because you continue to bring in talent, you're trading for Linz, you're uh, signing the Cespedes. Uh, so, I mean, the fact that you're still adding to it while guys, Rutherford, Gonzalez, Mike Rodolfo, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got guys now who are just, yeah, sure. And so, uh, you know, at some point, you know, I mean the path to them fitting on the major league roster at some point is going to get narrow to the point where, They're going to have to be used for something. And I'm sure other teams are aware of that to a degree, but not so much that they can sit back and just say, well, we're going to catch this guy in waivers. We're going to catch him for nothing. So... You know, you, you you cobble together two, three, four of those guys you're mentioning. Uh, you know, Collins and and, and Stever, or, or you know, whatever the combinations are. There's stuff out there, and I would have to think the phone is overloaded. Matthew Thomas uh, with Han going after Nick or trying Adolfo. to put together those pieces. You know, whether you project them to the majors or not. You know, with Dunning, it's not an indictment on Dunning to trade him. It's just, hey, window-wise, yeah. You know, which you, you, don't know, you don't even know how narrow it is. It could be very narrow. It's definitely not a guarantee to be all the 2020s. Uh, you got to strike now. <laughs> Bernardo Flores, yeah. James Beard, Yolbert Sanchez. Yeah. One of and, the great shortstop prospects in all of baseball. And, and no GM for any of those names is falling out of their chair over it. You put a couple of those together. You put a guy that you know you're not going to be able to keep or doesn't fit in with the team now because you've got a, you know an ace, uh, an ace on a team that's going to win you know 60 games. Come on. Those if are the I'm, deals you've got to make. If
1: I'm Pittsburgh, if I'm Pittsburgh, And the Chicago White Sox offer me, you know, Jonathan Stever, Gavin Sheets, Jake Berger, and, you know, Luis Gonzalez. I'm giving him – I'm giving them Joe Musgrove and, you know, some international signing bonus money just to top it off. I mean, that's such a good deal for both teams. Yeah,
0: yeah, it doesn't – yeah, it wouldn't even have to be that generous, I wouldn't think. Um, I don't uh, think so either. Yeah, The White Sox could afford a deal like that. Yeah and not be very affected. That's the point. Yeah, and it's great that, um, say, a team like San Diego has has perhaps more prime pos- prospects. They're getting deals done that the White Sox aren't. Let's face it, they're simply, no matter what we think of their system, simply not able to do on the same level. But there's a, still a whole tier of guys that the White Sox can turn into very viable players and who have already shown it, the Musgroves of the world, who are attainable for really any combination of prospects, oh. certainly ones that have – the, the skill level of the White Sox prospects. I, I'd, I'd push back a little on that
1: and say, you know, I didn't even list Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, Garrett Crochet, Jared Kelly, who all of whom should be untouchable in my personal opinion. But, you know, the Padres are looking at their top prospects and saying, well, I mean, we can get rid of them because we have no more holes to fill once we get the players that we want in these trades. Yeah. And look, San Diego's trying to win this year. They think they're better than the Dodgers, and the Dodgers just won it. You know, the White, the White Sox, they think they can win it this year, but they also know that they'll be able to win it for the next five years. I'm not sure the Padres will be in the same position two or three years from now, yeah. but the White Sox will, and it, it depends very much so on who they acquire. But, like, let's just say – let's talk about, you know, some non-pitching players, some position players like Chris Bryant or Clint Frazier, who, you know – would obviously be better than Adam Eaton in right field. We wouldn't have to give up nearly as much as Andrew Vaughn or Michael Kopech Mm -hmm. or Jared Kelly to get them. Mm -hmm. But we still could give up plenty of prospects and not lose depth. It's, It's actually pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, I never felt too uptight. I know that under Ken Williams, the farm was stretched maybe sometimes too outrageous. Limits, but I never really got me too uptight because I always saw those types of deals as being means to an end. Yes, maybe a couple did fight the White Sox back trading Gio Gonzalez was one that didn't really work out for the White Sox. Right. But in the vast majority of cases, those those players maybe never even make the majors. It doesn't necessarily matter whether your guys worked out either. If neither, I mean, what worse? It's a lose lose. Uh, I always see that capital as a means to an end to get guys. You want to turn three of those guys who might never make the majors where only you don't know their impact into one guy, you know, is going to make an impact at the yeah. level. And I hope that Han is incorporating enough of that Ken Williams attitude. Perhaps Ken was maybe overly aggressive. He always thought he was just one player away and was always, you know, Kenny gets his guy type of situation. I think Han's a little cooler than that, but that said, I hope he's incorporating some of that into it because at some point there's not room, there's 26 spots on the roster and you know, A good 15 of them are untouchable at this point. They're unmovable. So there's only so much space to use, which makes grabbing a guy like Adam Eaton, snatching him up, a guy who you can't get rid of now, um, that's almost worse than the amount of money spent or even the guy. He's just, he's not going He's on the roster.
1: Right, exactly. And, well, I can get into the Eaton stuff for hours if you really wanted me to, but I just wanted to quickly make a point, going back for a second. Think about this. In the last six years, the White Sox have had Tim Anderson, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Marcus Semien in the same organization. That blows my mind and speaks to how well opera- – despite some of their misses, uh, it, it speaks to how well the scouting department is operating for the Chicago White Sox, particularly in the infield.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, again – Flukes, I mean, Simeon wasn't what he was when he was traded. Obviously, Tatis was not. Uh, but you're right. Those do trace their lineage to the White Sox. And ultimately, hopefully the ratio of guys doing it for other teams is going to decrease so that we can say, oh, look at the homegrown talent. That's about yeah. the White Sox, a World Series, instead of the Padres, a World Series. But, right. uh, yeah, I mean, it still does trace to guys uh, who were, you know, rooted out by the by the White Sox for sure or, you know
1: we could just we could just put together an offer to the Phillies that does include Andrew Vaughn and get us both Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler and solve all our problems in one fell swoop
0: I'll take just one and and Vaughn a guy who you just don't see where he's going to play for the White Sox is a guy I think is a chip though I don't want to trade him I just I also don't see where he plays with the team committed to Breu. so uh well he
1: he takes over for a Braille in three years And he plays DH, and they spell each other in the meantime. But I will say this, that if Bryce Harper wanted to come to the Chicago White Sox and all we had to do was give up Andrew Vaughn and maybe, like, you know, uh, Matthew Thompson or something, I would do that trade a million times out of a million times.
0: Absolutely. 100%. We can agree there. We may not agree on Trevor Bauer, but we agree (laughs) on bringing Bryce Harper to solve the right field problem that has seemingly not been solved since, I don't know, Jermaine Dye? I mean, I I don't even know. Adam Eaton had a year, I guess.
1: Adam Eaton had one good year for two, Uh, you know. Listen, Eaton was the only good right fielder since Jermaine died because Alex Rios broke my heart.
0: Thought that was an aggressive strike by Ken Williams. And although, surprisingly enough, Rios did have two very strong years for the White Sox, he also had at least one, if not two, uh, unbelievably bad seasons. So that 2011 season was...
1: Yeah, I've, I've repressed a lot of the uh, the Alex Rios years because they also involved um, Mr. Dunn, who yeah. also broke my heart.
0: I'll never forget Adam Dunn. I was covering the team at the time. Adam Dunn coming out for the second half, saying, "I had a talk with Alex Rios. We're going to put this team on our back in the second half." <laughs> and of course, nobody was like, "Okay," but you know, you think, "All right, that's that takes some cojones." Well, didn't work I, out that year. <laughs> Not that year quite a combination. Well, hey, you know, vaguely speaking, are we looking at 2021 as a better year than 2020? It almost can't Without be first,
1: correct? Without a doubt.
0: Without a doubt. Uh, I, I hope you're talking about baseball.
1: But if you're talking about the world as a whole, I also think you're right. Yeah. Even, even so, uh, I think 2021 is going to be an excellent year for the White Sox. Guess who's gone? Cookie uh, and Lindor. They're gone, baby. That's true. Indians are out of this thing. It's, it is the White Sox and the Twins, and I don't think the Twins are as good as the White Sox. <laughs> they are in decline. Their best player is Josh Donaldson, who's going to be 36 years old soon or something. He's making $20 million a year to bat 210. I'll take yeah. it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting – yeah, it's definitely become a two-team race at this point, and it's as strange as it is to just have a team take itself out of the running. We sort of knew they were going to do that. We knew it was just a matter of time that that was going to happen, so, you know. And I just got an alert uh, with that little tick-tick-tick that said Twitter has permanently banned Donald Trump from tweeting. Whoa! Oh. that's our big segue into the fact that the world might be a better place in 2021 because can it necessarily get worse than having our capital stormed to begin the year no i don't think I'm not it sure can it can be what a dark day
1: in american history yeah i'll just say very quickly i think uh on that subject you know regardless of where you fall in the aisle i'm, I'm not one to shame anyone for any of their beliefs i think the great bedrock of america is your freedom to think and feel however you want without repercussion as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. But um, I would certainly hope that what happened on Wednesday in our nation's capital is not looked highly upon by anybody because it is a uh, absolute disgrace to what our country is founded upon.
0: It's a sad march that's culminated in this, but it's something that didn't just drop out of the sky. We've been moving toward this now for years, and let's hope Maybe finally this is it. I don't know. I hope there's not something worse to come that we then say, I hope this is it. Because we've said several times now already in the past four years, wow, this has to be it. So let's hope this is it, and we can start pulling back from where this group of people and this type of thinking has gotten us, which is literally threatening the lives and planning on taking lives of our elected representatives, which if that isn't crossing the line, with, by the way, a president vaguely or not, cheering it on. Uh, yeah, I mean, if that isn't beyond the pale, then I'm, come on. We've we've got to pull back from that. We're better
1: than that. Let's come <laughs> together. And let's be the United States of America again. Uh,
0: you know, we don't have a White Sox fan in the Oval Office. I mean, obviously. We well, used to. Think we're better then. For eight but, wonderful, uh... spectacular years. <laughs> And he still represents when he's out there. Even if he's got to wear like a cardinal's jacket because he's at Bush <laughs> Stadium or whatever, he still rocks he, this. He's an outsider, right. so, you know. Well, I guess you know. Hey, listen, Rob. I think we have boy we've really man we've covered school. We ran the gamut today. We've, we've covered the free market. Uh, we've covered um, tempestuous free agents, and we've covered the state of politics in the United States and the world today. So I. I don't know if there's anywhere else to go with that, so I, I think. Need a nap. I'm okay. going to sleep. Oh, man, and still no Chewy appearance. I'm going to expect better next time, and let's have a next time soon. In fact, uh, it could be here in the next uh, few weeks that perhaps you are even co-hosting your own program with Southside Sox. So that would be really cool. But we'll see how that develops. I'm sure we'll give that a nice big splash when, and if it does come about, but that'll be Get exciting. Coming. And certainly, if nothing else, continue to be a guest on the Southside Sox podcast, please.
1: Would love that. Thank you so much for having me. You'll see me again soon with my dear friend, Bill Meinke. We're going to have a brand new White Sox-based podcast just for you guys. And, uh, of course, it's always a pleasure to come here and chat with you. And look out for part three of the grading series, which will cover management, uh and coaches and the executives and i'll even have a fun little extra one just for steve stone and jason bonetti i was
0: gonna say perhaps the most fun one of all because i'm guessing you're gonna have a little bit more leeway there's no technically no metrics for the front office so uh probably gives you a little bit more we're gonna have, to have some fun, fun with the last one we're sure. we're gonna wait until
1: pitchers and catchers reports just so that we can give the socks all the time that they possibly need to make all the moves to optimize that our team. It could be a
0: last-minute Edwin Encarnacion signing, Rob. Don't, don't you year. dare. <laughs> don't you dare. How dare you? I'm waving my <laughs> it's Italian. It's got food. to be better. It's a better year. It's got to be better. <laughs> well, everybody, thanks, as always, for listening, for reading. we we'll have tons more content. we got all Hall of Fame voting. That's pretty much our theme for January. But, of course, any news that warms up the hot stove will be will be on as well, and there will be a lot more podcast material as well, including – the flagship Southside Sox podcast. Rob Coletti, thanks for joining me again, making it a Pies on Pod once more, and we'll, uh, we'll do it again soon, if not before, perhaps uh, at least at the time of the publication of part three. Hey, forget hey, about it. Can we do it. that? Forget about it. For all our countrymen out there, it's Brett signing off for Rob, and thanks for listening, uh, and keep on reading Southside Sox.